Father, I pray for your blessing over this time, that in our heads and in our hearts, that we will just not be going through the motions. God, we're not just playing church. It's easy to do that. And it's easy for us to make church just one more thing that we attend or that we go to see our friends. But Father, we gather as the people of God in the midst of a war, a spiritual battle. And this is our time of training, getting sharpened and ready so that we live our lives in a way that honors you and in a way that radiates and reflects your glory, not ours. And God, I pray for your blessing over this message. This is a hard one. This is a sobering one. But God, give us the eyes to see the good in it. And I pray you'll speak through me as I have nothing to say, God, but you have everything to say. And I pray you would speak loudly and clearly in me and through me. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week, uh, crazy week in all honesty. Um, Sometimes I love my job and sometimes I don't. And uh, when everything gets compressed, and I have to, I know I have to be uh, prepared to, to share God's word, which is, I mean, there is fear and trembling in this because you just, you just realize this, the, the accountability of that. Um, but uh, what kind of made my week a little bit difficult was for the first time in my 60 years of living, I was selected to be on a jury. And I have, the times that I have been um, sent the card, I'm able to send back kind of, would you please excuse me because I'm a pastor and, and I'm concerned that if I leave and we're gone for an extended period of time that that would not be good for the people that I shepherd. And it, it has worked up until this week. And so Monday I went in there and certainly I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to throw myself at the mercy of the court and kind of clearly the, the letter that this church sent to the court and the email with the explanation was not sufficient enough. So I'm going to take my verbal skills and here we go. And we get down there, and um, I'm selected rather early. And, and actually, I was with Mark Miller. Was Mark in here? The dude got exempt, and I didn't. He got sent home. <laughs> I'm standing right next to him. Anyways, I, I was known for that day as Orca 7. That was kind of my, my code name for jury selection. Got into the jury room. I, I explained why I... Um, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't think this was good and that I needed to be um, exempt and um, they didn't see it that way. So thankfully it was a short trial um, and I, I got, it was Monday and Tuesday. So I'm, I'm very thankful that it was that short in a superior court of all places. This, they said, this is one of the fastest we've ever had. And I thought, well, that's good. That's really good. Because I was contemplating, what happens if you don't go back? Do they arrest you? I was asking, Nancy, do they arrest me if I don't go back? Um, <laughs> she didn't know. So I thought, well, on that, I better, I better go back. But Anyways, all that to say, it was interesting to sit there and watch the interaction of the prosecution and the defense, and, and, um, and in particular, the, to see the defendant who came up to, um, to testify on her behalf. It was a felony uh, trial, uh, uh, and um, she was, we, we ended up uh, declaring her guilty, and, but it was interesting to see her defend herself. And as I was sitting there thinking, well, this is kind of what's going to happen on Sunday. God in a sense, he's going to defend himself. Because if you've been here with us with Job, you, you realize that Job, who God noted in chapters one and two, this is my man, there's no one like him. 
To which Satan kind of says, and, and this isn't in the Hebrew, but read between the lines. He says, you want to bet? And so this heavenly wager gets started. And Job uh, receives the suffering. And there's endless chapter after chapter after chapter. There are Job's friends telling him, hey, just come clean. You know, confess what you've done. That's why you're suffering. And Job is saying, no, that's not why I'm suffering. And he continues to declare his innocence. over. And he, and he starts wanting, I, I just want to talk to God. I want my day in court. Well, Job gets his day in court. And that's what we come to. This is really the kind of the climax of the book of Job. This is where God has been listening to, to Job's frustration, to Job's wanting his, his attention, uh, to plead his case, and, and he's going to get it. He's going to get it today. <clears throat> and what we're going to look at is we're going to look at God's response to Job. And what's going to be really interesting is we're going to see what does God say in response to Job who's been saying, why, why, why am I suffering? Can you relate to that? Can you look at the world and go, why is there suffering? Does that cause dissonance in you? Does that, does that create confusion at times? Are you kind of embarrassed that you talk about Christianity and that you're a follower of Jesus and yet somehow people ask very probably early into the conversation, how can a good loving God allow suffering? And you wish you had a better answer. Well, here's Job. He's been saying this over and over and God speaks and, and we're gonna look at what does God say? But we're also gonna look at as important, if not more important, what does God not say? Because that, I think, informs, both of those will inform us as to the inevitable suffering that we're all going to face. How do we navigate that? How do we do that? So that's where we're going this morning. I uh, made a shout out uh, a few weeks ago. I'm going to do it again to Timothy Keller, the late Timothy Keller, one of my spiritual heroes. He wrote a book called Walking, Through, or Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It, fascinating book, very insightful. And I will say that his teaching, his biblical teaching on suffering has uh, influenced me greatly. It's, it's how I understand suffering. It, it's, it's come out as we've been going through the book of Job and it will certainly be present today. So if you really wanna do a deeper dive, I would encourage you to, to get all that you can of what Timothy Keller has taught as a, uh, as a pastor in a church in New York when he was alive. He died this year, which is really sad. But with that, let's get our Bibles open. We're going to look at what does God say, what doesn't he say. I want you to find the book of Job in your table of contents. It's about a third of the way down in your Old Testament table of contents. And I want you to turn to chapter 38. We're going to look at 38 through 41. We're going to kind of uh, do a little bit of, um, of a survey. I'm not going to read everything, but I'm going to give you a feel for what's going on. But to get us there, to kind of prime the pump to understand this day in court, I want to go back to some things that Job said. In chapter 13, verse 3, Job says this. He's speaking to God. He says, yet I prefer to speak to the Almighty and argue my case before God. And then a little bit later in that chapter, he says, how many iniquities and sins have I committed? Reveal to me my transgression and sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? This is Job speaking to God, to the one that God previously had said, hey, have you considered my man Job? And then going to, Chapter 23, Job says this. He says, today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. If only I knew how to find him so that I could go to his throne, I would plead my case before him and my mouth, and fill my mouth with arguments. 
And Job repeats this, his desire to have his day in court, to speak on his behalf so that he can be exonerated and the suffering can end. And so we see that Job, or that God has been, uh, has, has been speaking and, 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 he, and he comes back and we're going to read, you know, you just kind of hear the, the, the power of that um, uh, in what Job's asking for. You can kind of sense what he wants. How's God going to respond to that? Well, in verse 30, or chapter 38, listen to God's response. It says, then the Lord God, or excuse me, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Your, your, your translation might say storm. God's going to answer him. And God brings kind of the, uh, the, the, the sound effects. He wants Job to understand that what he's about to say is, is, is the truth. It's in response to Job's um, frustrations. And he wants the setting to be right, for the words to be felt, for the moment to never be forgotten. Now what I want you to notice, it's, it's interesting, is the word Lord there. If you could read Hebrew and had been reading Job all the way through, the references to God, <clears throat> excuse me, come from the Hebrew word Elohim prior to this chapter. Elohim is the generic word for God. It's, it's, it's what, how you refer to God as, as judge and as creator. But from out of this whirlwind, from these hard words that, that God is about to speak to Job, the word Lord there is Jehovah or Yahweh. It is the personal covenantal name that God had with his people. In other words, God is about to say something very difficult, very challenging. But he doesn't say it merely as judge and creator. He, he says it as a loving God in covenant with his people, of which Job is his people. And what does God say? Verse 2. And, and when I read this, whether you're in suffering or not in suffering, uh, whether you're trying to live your life how you want to live your life by your rules and not really worried about God's rules. I, I want you to listen carefully to what he says. God says to Job, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Verse 16. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Verse 31. Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bear and their cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do they report to you, here we are? Verse 30, or chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know when mountain goats give birth? Have you watched the deer in labor? Can you count the months? They are pregnant, so you can know the time they give birth. They crouch down to give birth to their young. They deliver their newborn. Their offspring are healthy and grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return. Chapter 40. I'm just giving you a, a taste of what verse of chapters 38 through 41 are like. 
The Lord answered Job, will one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. Then Job answered the Lord, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hands over my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not reply twice, but now I can add nothing. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? So we see God responds to Job. He wanted his day in court. All right, here you go, big boy. Here it comes. And, and then we see Job kind of speak. It's almost like with each word of God, you kind of, I, if, I, if I was Job, I just, he's kind of bending down and cowering down even more. And, and then he speaks and he, and he acknowledges what God is trying to uh, get him to understand. Hey, I'm God and you're not. And then God says, I'm not done talking. And he goes through the rest of chapter 40 and 41. So God rebukes Job there on the spot. He rebukes him for questioning his counsel and his wisdom. Who are you? Think of it this way. Imagine if maybe this is, maybe it's your, uh, maybe you have a seven-year-old and you're getting on an airplane. And your seven-year-old kind of wanders into the cockpit. I know you can't, that doesn't happen today, but uh, just pretend with me that it does. And the seven-year-old wanders in the cockpit and he's looking around and, and there's the, the captain sitting in his seat and he says, yo, captain, there's no way this plane can fly. It's just too heavy. Now, as a captain, how do you respond to that, right? Um, do, do, you, do you start to explain to him uh, so that to a seven-year-old about, uh, uh, about uh, propulsion and uh, combustion and lift? Is, is that what you do? Can a seven-year-old really understand that? No, he can't. What does the pilot say to the seven-year-old? Go sit in your seat and be quiet. That's what the pilot says, right? You have no idea what you're talking about. Well, that's in a way what God is saying to Job. He's saying, sit down and shut up. I mean, there's no mistaking this. I mean, God is, is just laying it right there. Again, he's laying it out as Jehovah and Yahweh, not as Elohim. This is a hard word. It's, it's a word of love, but it's spoken in a difficult way. And so here's Job. He's been pounding the gavel, my day in court. And, and, and the elephant in the room is, God, you're powerful. You're all-knowing. You're all-loving. Why am I suffering? Why is there suffering at all? And so we wait for God's answer. Did you notice what he said? What does God do in, in response to Job's questioning? Why? Why? He takes Job a little bit through his creation. Were you there? Do you know how I did that? Probably not what we really expected. But God is saying to Job, you don't have a suffering problem, Job. You've got a knowledge problem. There's a million things that are required for me to run this world right, and you don't know one of them. And I know them all perfectly. Who are you to darken the doorway and question my counsel. And that's a hard word. That's just a hard word. And so the answer that we maybe are looking for doesn't come. But what answer does come? God's answer to Job is, my knowledge is infinitely superior to any person, including you, Job. That's where we need to start with 
my response to your suffering. It goes back to what I said about Isaiah 55, 8, 9. That, that, those two verses just opened up. It just was like a breath of fresh air in my mind. When God says, my ways are not your ways, nor my thoughts your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above your ways, so are my ways above your ways. It's just like God's just saying, I'm God and you're not. And there's going to be a part of that you're going to have to live with and be okay with. And, and God is giving Job a reminder that his almightiness and his glory and his, his power is seen in his creation. And this is what's, it stands to reason in light of this. And think about this for a moment, because we, we've been there, right? You, you realize, you're thinking about God, and it's like, if, okay, if, I, if, there, if a God exists that I believe is big enough, powerful enough, and smart enough for there not to be suffering, for, for me to be able to question and even be angry, if that's possible, well, then you know what else is logically that goes with that? And that is that if you believe God is big enough and powerful enough and smart enough, then that means he also is big enough and powerful enough and smart enough to have reasons that we will not understand. I mean, you can't have both. So when we start to question God, when we're feeling inside that, that anger about, about suffering, wondering why God, we're betraying the idea that we understand God is God and we're not. And if we are mad at him for the things that we think are all powerful and all-knowing and all that, well, then we also have to allow reasonably the idea that we will not fully understand him. That just because we can't understand a good reason for the suffering does not mean that one does not exist. And that's the lesson that Job is getting. Like the seven-year-old who thinks the plane can't fly, he doesn't know because he doesn't know how planes fly. And so when we question God and when we're frustrated and we're angry, he, he understands that. But what we have to acknowledge is that we're betraying what we, what we know who he is and that there's going to be parts of who he is we do not fully understand because he's God and we're not. So, Job is getting all of this. And I have found, I don't know if you've found it this way, but I, I think you'll relate to this. Is that when we do begin to question God when we're suffering, or when we see suffering in general, or other people we love, when we, when we see that, we, we question God as if he's our personal assistant and he's let us down, or he's not done what we think he should have done. And one of my, uh, there's probably two or three all-time favorite quotes of Timothy Keller that I just, that mean the world to me. This was one of them. I heard it a long time ago. And this is what Timothy Keller said. And it was, it was actually coming out of uh, God's word about creation and, and all that he's done as he stands before Job and defends his way of justice. And this is what Timothy Keller said. He says, and, and keep in mind what I just read to you, okay? Does God's work in creation sound like someone you can invite into your life to be your personal assistant? Did what we just read sound like, does that sound like someone that you can boss around or that you can call the shots? It's, it's not. We, we cannot. God is not someone that we can have as our personal assistant. 
And Job kind of starts to figure that out in chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. He says, I am so insignificant. He seems to be getting that. So that's what God said in response to Job. Give me my day in court. And, and I, I'm, I accuse you of this. How do you plead? How do you defend yourself? God says, I'm God and you're not. That's how I defend myself. Well, let's look at what doesn't he say, because it's equally, if not more important. What Job doesn't do and what he hasn't done for us is he doesn't give an explanation. He doesn't say, here's why I'm doing this, Job. But here's the crazy thing about it. He could have. Because there was an explanation, right? Chapters 1 and 2. We see it. When you read it now, we realize, oh, this is why this is happening. Job didn't have that benefit or luxury. He had silence. And he complained about it. And he lamented about it. God does not give Job an explanation. Even though there was one. You remember, you go back to the chapters 1 and 2, right? God says, hey, Satan, have you considered my man? He's awesome. And Satan says, does Job serve God for nothing? In other words, he says, hey, he's such a great guy because you're treating him well. He's benefiting from honoring you, from obeying you. So this is kind of where the wager happens. God says, okay. Let's test his faith. And I, I will allow you to do what you want. I'll limit the suffering that you want to introduce into his life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to limit it and allow, or I should say, I'm going to allow as much as I need to, God's saying to Satan, that will demonstrate that you're wrong. I'm going to give you enough rope, but not all of it, to hang yourself. And so we see that Job incurs a great deal of suffering. But what we, what we have to accept is that God does not give Job the why. But here's, the, here's the, the critical thing about it. He does not give Job the why for his benefit. It's like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Every one of us would probably say at some point in time, when we're going through the suffering, we're just saying, God, just give me a, a, a little peek. Help me to understand just a little bit. It, it will benefit me. It will help me. It's exactly what Job was asking for. But God is saying, I can't. I choose not to. Because the benefit you'll get from not knowing is what you need. And, and that is hard for us to process. That's, that's terribly hard for us to process. But God doesn't want to show Job the reason. Because if God tells Job the reason... Which, and I said this a few weeks ago, but it's worth repeating. If God, Job, if, if God tells Job, hey, listen, if you hang in there, your name is going to be spoken of in 2023. I mean, thousands of years later, people are going to be talking about you. And we know at the end of the book of Job is that God doubles Job's possessions. If you hang in there, Job, if you hang in there, I'm going to double your possessions. And again, that's what we're looking for when we're suffering. But what does that prove if that indeed, if, Job, if God had told Job what I just suggested he could have told him, then who's right? Satan's right. And Satan wins the wager. Because now Job chooses to love God and be faithful to God, not for loving God alone and not to be faithful to him for what God has done already for him, but it's for what he can get out of it. And so for that reason, 
God does not give him the why. And the amazing thing about it is Job hangs on. And today, in 2024 or 2023, we are talking about Job. We're, we are, Job is being spoken of in a way that the people of God are to say, look at him. Understand him. Be encouraged by him. So this, this, this suffering without the why. Um, I, I, I think I've said this a few weeks ago, but it's, it's just so worth repeating. This, the, the suffering uh, without a why is for our benefit because it's really the only way you will know and I will know if we love God for God alone. It's really the only way. Otherwise, we're going to be working God in a way that we want to get what we want to get. And this is the hardest thing I could say. It's, it's the most sobering truth. What it's saying is that in God's economy, in this world, good people are going to suffer. We have 66 books in the Bible. One of them is the book of Job. And it's there so that we can understand that this is what's going to happen. And how do we navigate it? Well, we know one thing. We don't sit and sulk and insult God until we find out the answer and ask for the why. Because we're very likely not going to get it. Because it would not help us. It would not serve its purpose. And that is just hard to hear. And Job heard it. And Job did not do what his wife said early on. Remember what his wife told Job? Curse God and die, Job. They must not have had premarital counseling. I don't know how you explain that. But he hangs on. Because he came, and we see it in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 40. You can kind of see the reality, the understanding that he has no basis to question God's justice. Because he wasn't there when God did all those things. And he doesn't understand how God does all those things. And he has to understand that even though I don't see the good in it, and I can't understand the good in it, doesn't mean that it's not good. Because I do not understand all that there is to understand. So, God doesn't give the why. And when we're in suffering, what do we do? We, our default in our heart is to question God. So what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And what we have to do is we have to fight that tendency. We have to fight our thoughts going in that direction. God, give me the why. We have to fight it. And, and, and because what we're doing is we're trying. Um, we, we, let, let me step back for a minute. Everybody in this room probably wants to be loved for who they are, right? I, I want to be loved for who I am, not what I can do, not what I can get somebody. Um, you you want to be loved for who you are, not, not what, for what you do, not for how you look, or not for who you know, or, or what you can get for somebody. You want to be loved for who you are. Well, God wants to be loved for who he is. And God is not a personal assistant, God Almighty is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. And God wants to be loved for who he is alone and not for what he can do. And so we have to fight this, 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 this idea, this thought of wanting to know why, uh, of wanting to love God for the things he can get us. And whether we like it or not, suffering is the way we learn that. When we endure and we trust in God and we learn to love him for who he is alone. You see, otherwise, if you, if you stay in that mode 
when suffering happens that you got to know why. And when you think to yourself, and what makes us want to know why? It's because we think we're good and we don't deserve it. That's where the why comes from. If we stay in that mindset, my friends, suffering will destroy you. You will be inconsolable. You will walk away from your faith. And you, you probably know some people who've walked away from the faith because they had suffering come in their lives. Or maybe they just saw suffering in general and they could not process it because they were trying to process it through. If you're good, God will give you good. But that is not God. That is not how he wants to be known. We don't have a personal system. We don't control things. He does. We're free falling, my friends, in this area. Free falling. There is nothing about suffering that you can kind of go, okay, I understand so I can kind of start to steer my suffering. You can't do that. And God uses suffering so that we realize that he is God and we are not. And that is a healthy place to be. And that is how we learn to love God for himself alone and not what he can get us. Now, I want to steer back to chapter 40, verse 8 for a moment. Because we started this uh, message with seeing from Job that he wanted two things from God. He wanted an explanation. Why? But he also wanted vindication. His friends are telling Job, just confess it, buddy. Come on. I haven't done anything. And so he wants to be vindicated. He wants to be made right. He wants his vindication. And in verse 8 of chapter 40, God says this way, the way that Job's trying to go about it. He says, would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? How do you answer that question? Job's basically saying, I know that I'm right. I know that I haven't done anything wrong. So God, you must be the problem. Your justice is not justice because I've not done anything wrong to deserve the suffering that I'm facing. So what is the answer to the question that God asks of Job? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Well, I think the obvious answer from what I've said and what we what we've read is no. God is, is calling out Job to say, you can't justify yourself at the, at the expense of my justice. It's just not gonna happen. You cannot say, hey, I don't understand what's happening to me, so therefore it must not be good. You, you, you don't have that card to play, Job, because I'm God and you're not. But let me ask you this. We said the answer to that question is No. But can you think of a situation or a person or a scenario where that answer is yes? Let let me ask you this. Who do you know of who was found guilty though they were innocent so that those who found them or him, I'm giving it away, those who found him to be guilty could become righteous and innocent. Right? I mean, the question here is, would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? We say, no in this situation, but my friends, in a larger setting, what we have to come to grips with as God uses suffering in a way we, not, we cannot fully understand is the answer to that question is Yes. Because that's what happened to Jesus. He was declared guilty, though he was innocent. 
and he was crucified to absorb the sin of humanity, your sins and my sins, so that we would be declared innocent. So in the grander scheme of things, yes, and that's the amazing thing about this. That, and, and we don't understand that kind of suffering. They didn't understand when Jesus came. He was the Messiah. He was the ones that they all talked about. This is the guy who's going to save us. In this case, they thought he, he's going to save us from Rome. But he came to save them from their sins. He came to suffer. That was God's plan. That was in the Isaiah 55, 8, 9 bucket. They didn't understand that. That's why they reject him. That's why Israel today still rejects Jesus. Because Messiahs don't suffer. But that's because they're darkening the council with ignorant thoughts. God's revealed word. You see, the book of Job is here for us to embrace that suffering is a reality. And that our vindication and Job's vindication isn't convincing God that he didn't do anything wrong. It is receiving what Jesus has done on your behalf and my behalf. That's how we're vindicated. And that's how God uses suffering in a way we could never at all imagine. The suffering on the cross so that we would be found innocent and justified. So, in that sense, God wins and we win with the suffering on the cross. For this week, in light of that, let me challenge you in this way. I'm gonna ask you, would you please press into your relationship with Jesus in preparation for suffering? And I said, I've, again, I've said that before, it's worth repeating. You've got to, and I have to, we need to build a, a, a big old pile of understanding God of, uh, as, we, as we follow Jesus, as, as we connect with him, as we, as we live in light of him. We, we learn about him, we learn about God. We need to build a humongous pile of what we know based on experience because we're gonna have this other pile over here where things that are gonna happen we don't understand. They're confusing to us. And rather than focusing on them, we need to let these kind of settle because the larger pile is over here. We know him. I, I don't understand this, but I understand that. And what I understand is vastly superior to what I don't understand. And so we need to lean in in a relationship with Jesus so that we can live and navigate through suffering because of what we know and not let what we don't know shipwreck us. Secondly, is, and, and this is the next time you do face innocent suffering because it's coming and I call it innocent because we're all guilty and we live in a broken world but the next time you face it is first believe with all of your heart when it starts to happen believe with all of your heart that God is using his sovereignty for good you, you just gotta say I've got the word of God I got the promises of God the truth of God that tells me that God is up to good and I need to, I need to embrace that and then secondly Believe with all of your heart that God wants to complete Jesus' suffering in you and through you to those who are around you. And I read to you this a few weeks ago, this verse. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I am comp completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body. That is the church. Paul is saying, I'm suffering for Christ. I am suffering, but I'm honoring Jesus. And what that's doing and what God's using that in a way is the people around me that weren't there to see Jesus suffer. They see me suffer for Christ and God makes this supernatural connection. And, and he plants those seeds in the hearts and head spaces of those people and he uses that to draw people to Christ. You can redeem your suffering and I can redeem my suffering when we think about it that way. Okay, that's how we navigate it. That's how we get through it, to glorify God. Father, thank you 
for Job. God, thank you for his, for being real, being just like we would be if we were Job and being just like we have been when we felt like Job. But God, thank you that he never, he never cursed you. He hung in there. And thank you, Lord God, that you have revealed to us who you are. And that, that answer dwarfs the answer to the question, why? For reasons we understand. And I pray your blessing over us in Jesus' name. Amen.